Oh Lord, we ask that our prayers would indeed come before you now and that you would deliver us from all our troubles according to your promises. We cannot demand anything from you, O oh God, but we come to you with the promises you have made in Scripture to help those who call upon you and call upon your name through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we look at your word together, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us in great abundance and power so that we are delivered and helped by your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue, of course, our series in the book of Micah. And I thought it might be helpful to give you a recap once again, because uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we looked at this together, uh, where Micah sits in the Bible. Of course, we, we know that's part of the Minor Prophets and it's there towards the end of the Old Testament. But where, when did Micah prophesy in the history of Israel? Uh, well, he's during the, the time that this kingdom had split into two different kingdoms. Uh, you've got the kingdom of Israel in the north and you've got the kingdom of Judah in the south. Uh, this had come after, of course, the Israelites came out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses and they came into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. You eventually had the rise of King David uh, coming to the throne. After King David, you have King Solomon. And from King Solomon, there's a split after that, uh, where you've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And then, of course, you've got kings of Israel, kings of Judah going through, and Micah comes towards the end of the reigns of these kings of Israel and kings of Judah. And he is particularly speaking about the sins of the people at this time, as the kingdoms are quite prosperous uh, but there is a judgment of God that is to come. And he speaks of the Assyrian judgment. Uh, the Assyrians were in the north and they came down and wiped out most of the kingdom of Israel in the north. Uh, they did not wipe out altogether the kingdom of the south, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Hezekiah was able to hold out against them uh, because, of course, the Lord's miraculous deliverance. But then, of course, Babylon came over and got Judah eventually. And so we see uh, Micah warning about these nations that would come in as God's judge, uh, God's judgment upon them uh, for their sins. And that's part of what we're looking at this morning is not just the judgment, but then, of course, the deliverance that comes. He spoke a lot about judgment. We see that as we'll study Micah and as we've studied Micah together. But he also had messages of hope, messages of hope. And that is what we're looking at this morning in particular. Verses 1 to 5 are speaking of the hope that Israel has after the judgment has come through. What is the hope of Israel? Well, we read in verse 1. In the last days, after all these judgments have come through, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. What is the hope? Well, the hope is that the mountain of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains, that this mountain will be chief again and that peoples will stream to it. What is this mountain of the Lord? Well, we understand that, of course, it is Jerusalem. Uh, it is Zion. It is that mountain that is mentioned in verse 2 as Zion. Uh, in verse 2, it says in the last sentence of verse 2, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, why will people stream to this mountain? Why is it a, a message of hope that we have here about the Lord's mountain being established as chief? What makes it chief? Well, it's because it is the place of God's presence. In uh, verse 1, we read, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple 
or house will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Mount Zion, Jerusalem, is where God's presence was to be and was. When we see Solomon building his temple on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem, God's presence came and was shown there in the cloud that came to the temple. And so God's presence would be there at Jerusalem once more. This is the hope of the peoples, and this is why peoples are streaming to it, because it is not just any mountain. It is God's mountain where he dwells, as particularly, especially as uh, the loving creator, the, the just God that the people of Israel would worship. And so, of course, they will stream to that mountain because it's where God's house is. It's where his presence is. But why else would people stream to this mountain? Why would it be a place of hope that they are drawn to? Drawn to? Well, it's because people would uh, encourage them to go there. We read in verse 2, Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. There are people who have found something good here, and they are wanting others to share in the good that they have found. We as humans, we're social creatures, and generally we can't keep something good to ourselves. If we find a bargain, we kind of want to share it with others, and we want them to enjoy the goodness that we've found. And that's what we see here, that these people are saying, come, let us go. Come with us. We found something good. We found that at this mountain is God's presence and, of course, the other reason that we see in the text as to why people would stream to this mountain, why it's such a special place, is because God's word is there. Verse 2, we read, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's such a privilege to be in the presence of God and such a privilege to have God speak to us as our creator, the one who loves us and is just and righteous. And here at this mountain is where God's word is taught, where his ways are proclaimed, where his law goes out from. It comes out of Jerusalem throughout and then expands from there throughout the world. And so, of course, people want to stream to it. They want to hear God's word at that mountain. And then, of course, one of the other ways uh, that we see, uh, one of the reasons why people would go to this mountain and the result of people going to this mountain is the wonderful message of peace uh, that will be there at that mountain. We read in verse 3, He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will, anyone, will, will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Why is this mountain so wonderful? Well, it's because it's a mountain of peace. It's a mountain where people live in harmony with one another. They don't take up swords against one another. They don't take up spears against each other. They don't fight. And so it's a place that we want to be at. And it's the result of going to this mountain and hearing God's word that peace then comes to people's hearts and they can live in contentment. I love the image that's there in verse 4. Every man sitting under his own vine and under his own fig tree and no one will make them afraid. There's this peace that is found on the mountain of the Lord. So this is the prophecy of Micah. He prophesies that this message of hope of the Lord's mountain, where God's presence will be, where people will be encouraging you to come to be a part of that mountain, where God's word will be streaming out of it. As people stream up, the word is streaming down from 
the mountain, and of course it's a place of great peace. Now, was this prophecy fulfilled? Was this prophecy fulfilled? Well, yes, the prophecy was fulfilled. In, we see in the time of Cyrus, after the Israelites had been taken in exile over to Babylon, and you can read about their time over there in a book like Daniel, but there was uh, King Cyrus, he let the Israelites return. And so we have what we call the post-exilic period. You've got the exilic period where the Israelites are taken over to Babylon and they're in exile, and then they're allowed to return. And that opens up in, in the book of Ezra. At the beginning of the book of Ezra, you can read about Cyrus releasing the Israelites so that they can return to the mountain of the Lord. And was God's presence there? Yes, the temple was rebuilt. You can read about that in the book of Ezra as well, about them rebuilding the temple and worshipping God in that place. Did the word of God stream from Jerusalem there at, uh, after the exile, after they were allowed to return? Yes, they were redeemed from Babylon, but also able to then worship God in his place and hear his word taught. You can read about that in Nehemiah, where Ezra, you can read about it in Ezra, but you can also read about Ezra in Nehemiah, Ezra the person, in the book of Nehemiah, how he was there to teach the people the words of God. Now, was there peace in Jerusalem? Well, in one sense, yes. The people of God were able to gather there and be there. You can read about it in the book of Nehemiah and to have a time of fellowship together and to rejoice as the temple has been rebuilt. You can read about that in Ezra. But in one sense, we have to say, no, there wasn't the peace in Israel that we see here described in chapter 4 of Micah. Yes, the people were redeemed from Babylon, as it does say later in, in verse 10 of Micah chapter 4, but we don't see the peace that is described here because there were problems in Israel still. Uh, you can even read about them in the book of uh, Ezra and you can read about them in the book of Nehemiah, the, the conflicts that were happening between Israel and other nations that were there, the, particularly the peoples that were living in the land after, uh, before the Israelites returned. And then, of course, you can read about the conflict that even happened with, amongst the people of Israel about certain sins. And then, of course, if you want to keep on going from the time of the exile through to the New Testament, there's, there's great nasty wars uh, that happen between the Israelites and other nations as uh, other nations sweep through Israel. Uh, there are wars that take place. Uh, we don't have a lot of detail about them in our Bible, uh, but there are the books uh, that uh, are included in the Apocrypha, uh, and certain Bibles you can get them, and they speak about the conflicts that happened between Israel. And so we don't see this peace that is described here in verse 3. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. No, the Israelites kept on training for war because, of course, people were continuing to make war with them. And so we see this is not fulfilled in the way that uh, we would like to see uh, in the, the uh, post-exilic period uh, when the Israelites returned, but also between the Testaments. So when was this fulfilled? We see a partial fulfilment in the post-exilic period, but when was it fulfilled? Well, we could say that it was also fulfilled during the Messianic age, when the Christ came in the New Testament. And that is really what probably most people would latch on to with the wo opening words from chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, these things will take place. The mountain of the Lord will be, uh, Lord's temple will be established. What do we think when we think of the last days? Well, we think of the Messianic age. 
And that's taught to us in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, we read in verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's a fulfillment that Peter was referring to, that these are the last days. As the spirit comes, we know that we're in the last days. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, we read, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What are the last days? The last days are when the son speaks to us. And that, of course, happened when Jesus Christ came onto the earth. But was this really fulfilled in the time of Jesus, in the last days, in the Messianic age? Well, did Jerusalem, Jerusalem contain the presence of God? Yes, in a way that had never been seen before. How? God himself tabernacled, dwelt in Jerusalem in the person of Jesus Christ. God's presence was found in Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem where God sent his son to live and to be. Were people encouraged to go to Jerusalem to see the Lord? Yes, we see more and more crowds coming to Jerusalem to see the Lord Jesus and to hear his words. And when they can't find him, they're asking, where is he? They're wanting to hear God speak through him. And that's another thing that we see fulfilled in the time of Jesus Christ, is that the word comes out of Jerusalem. Jesus is there teaching in the temple courts. God himself, the Lord, is there and he's teaching. And so the word is flowing out of Jerusalem as people take the message that Jesus is speaking there in Jerusalem. Now, was there peace among the nations? Was there peace among the nations in the time of the Messiah? Well, if we look at the time of the Messiah as being uh, not just the time when Jesus uh, was alive and before his death and resurrection, but also after his death and resurrection, we understand that we're in the last days in one sense now, then of course we understand that nations have a peace after Christ's death and resurrection in a way that wasn't seen before, where nation would not take up sword against nation nor were they trained for war anymore. Because at the day of Pentecost, what do we see so clearly? We see people from all nations, there gathered, hearing the word of God in their own tongue. And they're becoming Christians there on that day. And so they're coming and being at peace with one another, despite their cultural differences, despite their language differences. They're all there and, and in a peace and a harmony with one another. And so we see a fulfillment of what is being prophesied here in chapter 4 there on the day of Pentecost. And of course, the, the early church, there's a unity that is there in the early church, a, a spirit of love and tenderness with one another that stood out against the world. That is fulfilled here in uh, chapter 4 of Micah. We see uh, the prophecy he fulfilled as people of all different nations are loving one another. The Jews and Gentiles are welcoming one another and worshipping God together in unity. But was it completely fulfilled? Was there no other fulfilment to come from Micah chapter 4? We see a fulfilment with the Babylonians let, uh, allowing the Jews to return, that they would go back to Jerusalem we see a fulfillment in the time of Jesus being there. We see a fulfillment in the times of the apostles in the book of Acts. But was it completely fulfilled? Well, if we look at verse 3 and think about what's described there, that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. We have to understand that their fulfillment isn't complete if we're looking for a complete peace. Because... We see in the New Testament, and then of course down through church history even to today, that Jerusalem is not a place of peace. 
and that there were terrible persecutions that came after Christ and after the apostles. The way that Jerusalem was, uh, uh, the fall of Jerusalem under the Roman Empire, and we see the wars that have continued to come uh, between nations around this world, that uh, Jesus prophesied about and are still there today. I mean, Jerusalem itself, we see that even in recent months, we see that there is war going on there. We can look, of course, around the rest of the world and see that nation is taking up sword against nation. But it, you look at it in Jerusalem. And I was there last year. And it's probably the only time in my life that I've had uh, the, the muzzle of a gun pointed at me. Is As I was walking through different gates at Jerusalem, there were guns pointed directly at those gates. We don't see what is prophesied here in Micah chapter 4 today in its complete fulfillment. So when will Micah's prophecy be fulfilled? When will we see what is being described here completely fulfilled? Well, it's in the heavenly Zion that we will see the fulfillment of this prophecy. Earthly Jerusalem, this mountain of the Lord, it is really just a shadow of the heavenly Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we saw a taste of that in the passage that we had read before for us from Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, the apostle John sees this marvelous vision. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe, away, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What is the chief mountain of the Lord? It is the heavenly Zion. And we understand that from Hebrews chapter 12 as well. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion. To Jerusalem? No, you've come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, not the physical Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Heaven is the ultimate fulfillment of Micah chapter 4. Why? Well, is the presence of God in heaven? Yes! We see that in Revelation chapter 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men. Yes, of course, he dwelt with God in the time of Solomon at, at People dwelt with God at the time of Solomon as his presence filled the temple. We see, of course, people dwelling with God, with the Lord Jesus while he's on the earth. But the fulfillment of this prophecy, the presence of God, is there in the heavenly Zion. What about people being encouraged to go there? Well, yes, people are encouraged to go to heaven all the time as believers encourage unbelievers, come with us to the mountain of the Lord. Come with us to the heavenly Zion. Does the word of the Lord flow from heaven? Yes, it has always flowed from heaven. Yes, of course, it flowed from Jerusalem, but where did it come from first? It came from God, from heaven, from the Mount Zion in heaven. It then came down to God's prophets who then spread the word. And of course, the word incarnate, Jesus himself, he came from heaven first to Israel and then 
has spread out throughout the earth as by the Holy Spirit. His presence has spread out from there. It's always been from heaven that the word of God has come, not from Jerusalem directly. But is there peace in heavenly Zion? What is what Micah has been telling us, that the mountain of the Lord will have the presence of God, it will have the word of God, it will have people exhorting one another to go there, but it will also have a, be a place of peace. And we see it again and again that the fulfilments that we've been looking at as the post-exilic period, the peace wasn't really there. And we look at the time of the Messiah here on earth, the peace isn't really there. What about in that heavenly Zion? Will the peace really be there? Will it be a case of that people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore? Will there be war in heaven? No, because there is no sin there. There is no fighting with one another. And so we know that this will really be fulfilled, truly fulfilled, ultimately fulfilled, only in the heavenly Zion. And so we have a taste of the heavenly Zion now in the messianic age that we're in. But there's a now not yet tension all the way through. We see this with the post-exilic period. There's a now Micah is being fulfilled as the Israelites come back from Babylon. Yes, there's a now, but there's still a not yet. And while Christ was on earth, there was a now, but there's still a not yet to come. And in the age we're in, there's a now, but there's still a not yet there's still an ultimate fulfillment that is to come. We have the presence of God in us now. We have Christ in us by the Holy Spirit. We encourage one another to go to God's Zion, to go to heaven. We have the word of God coming to us as we listen to God's word as it comes from heaven. His word to the prophets, but his word through Jesus Christ. And there, of course, is a peace that comes to us with one another now, where we lay down swords and we don't fight with one another. But at the same time, we are longing for that greater fulfilment. We have a now, we have a taste of the heavenly Zion now, but we look forward to the complete fulfilment. We understand that this is not heaven on earth here. There's still heaven to come. So are you going to the presence of God in the heavenly Zion? Are you going there? Are you going up the mountain of the Lord? Well, how do we get there? How do we begin this journey? Well, it starts with repentance and faith. And it continues with repentance and faith. It's a life marked of repentance, of turning from your ways to God's ways and trusting in Jesus as the one who pays for your sins so that you can continue on the journey. You start the journey by Christ's death at the cross, by him paying for your sins so that you can begin to ascend the mountain of the Lord. And then, of course, we continue to ascend the mountain as Christ pays for each of our sins each day. Now, how do you see that you have that true repentance and faith, that you really are going to the mountain of the Lord? You want to go to this mountain. You want to be there in heaven. You know it's by repentance and faith because that's the message that has come out of heaven to us, that this is the way to be saved. But how do I know that I've got true repentance and faith, that I really am going to heaven? Well, it's by the way that you listen to God's word. We see that, that... In verse 2, that he will teach us his ways so we may walk in his paths and that you live according to his word. Now, what does it look like to live according to God's word? Live according to his ways. What, is the commands that God, what are the commands that God has given us? To love him and love our neighbor as ourselves. 
And that's key because that leads to the results that we see in verses 3 and 4 of peace with one another. What characterises citizens of the world? What characterises those who are following the ways of the world? War. War. You only have to read the newspaper to see this. The world takes up sword and trains for war. They sharpen their plowshares into swords. They, sh they beat their pruning hooks into spears. You see nation against nation. You see state against state. You can even see this in our own states, uh, our own states at the moment in our nation. There's state against state all the time. We're not a united nation. There's political party against political party. There's race against race. There's gender against gender. There's poor against rich. There's family against family. And I'm not talking about families who live apart from one another, even within the one home. That's what the world looks like. It's a, a, a life of war. Why is this? Well, it's because one of the main reasons is everybody's always after someone else's fig tree. They always want to be living under someone else's fig tree. They want someone else's spouse. They want somebody else's job. They want somebody else's house. They want somebody else's bank account. They want somebody else's car. They're not content to sit under their own fig tree or their own vine. They're always looking over the fence at somebody else's. And how do I get that fig tree or that vine of somebody else's? I have to fight them for it. And so they make war with one another. But what characterises the citizens of the heavenly Zion, of those who are on the journey to heaven? Well, it's peace. They're always trying, the citizens of, the heaven, uh, citizens of heaven, they're always trying to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They're always trying to refrain from taking up sword and training for war. And they're not just talking about the physical swords, talking about laying down the swords of the anger of the mind and the sword of the tongue that loves to gossip and slander and lie and cheat so that we can steal. Citizens of heavenly Zion are trying to lay down such swords all the time. Now, why can Christians live that way? Why can Christians live in contentment so they don't want to steal what belongs to others? Well, it's because they have contentment in Christ Jesus. They can live under their own fig tree, even if their fig tree is not as nice as the next person's fig tree. They can live there because they've got a sense of contentment. They know that they have all things in Christ. So even in a lockdown, where so many of the things that we enjoy doing are restricted from us at this point in time, a Christian should be able to say, I am content. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, because he is all I need. And so I don't need to fight with others. I can be content in whatever situation the Lord puts me in. Now, yes, we're not perfect. Citizens of heaven, we're not perfect. But if we are citizens of heaven, we should see a continuous attempt in our lives and success in laying down weapons and not fighting with others. We know that there's always a not yet. Yes, we're not in heaven yet. But we're trying to have as much of the not yet now. And that includes being at peace with our fellow man. So are you for peace or war with your fellow man?
with unbelievers and also with believers? Do you try to beat your sword into a plowshare or do you beat your plowshare into a sword? Are you trying to beat your spear into a pruning hook or are you trying to turn your pruning hooks into spears? Do you love to take up swords with others? Or do you like to lay your sword down? Some of us, we've got that characteristic about us. I still remember going to a minister's conference, or workshop it really was, and uh, they were analysing you on your personalities and are you fight or flight. And some people were like, yeah, 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 I'm fight all the way. And I was like, well, you've got to work on that, buddy. Because characteristic of someone from the citizens of heaven is that he does not train for war. He does not take up swords. And are you content under your own fig tree? Or are you always covetously looking at the fig trees of others? If you're not trying to be at peace, the Bible says you're not a pilgrim. You're not someone ascending the mountain of the Lord, despite what you may claim. True repentance, true trust in Christ Jesus It breeds peace, not war. It breeds peace, not war. There should always be a now, not yet, expressed in the lives of believers now. Yes, there's so much of Micah 4 that's not yet. And we long for it, we desire it. But we should see some of it now. And if you're not seeing it now, you're not a Christian, despite what you may claim. And so you need to come in repentance and faith. And trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. For all the times you picked up swords against your fellow man. What's another way that we see that we belong to heaven? That we're climbing this mountain of the Lord? Well, it's by the way that we encourage others to go too. What was the characteristic of these people as they found the mountains of the Lord? Well, they say in verse 2. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob. If you are a citizen of heaven, you will invite others to be citizens of heaven too. You will invite them, you will pray for them that they become citizens of heaven, and you will also support others who are seeking to say to people, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And I'm talking here about pastors and, of course, missionaries. If you're not interested in supporting the gospel going to other lands, can you actually say that you're a citizen of heaven? that you are ascending the mountain of the Lord? Why would we invite people to come with us to the mountain of the Lord? Well, it's because we know God's presence now and his word now and the peace that has come to our lives, the contentment that's there with our fellow man. And so, of course, we want others to enjoy it with us. And, of course, we want people to not just enjoy it now, but enjoy it in what is to come. We want people to enjoy the presence of God that we will have when we see Christ face to face, when we see God face to face, when we sit down and eat with God in the heavenly place, when we are able to hear him speak to us directly, when we are able to be at peace with our fellow man in a way that we have never experienced in this world, never seen in this world. We want people to enjoy that, to join with us in heaven. And so it's false Christians that don't invite unbelievers who are not interested in sharing the good news that they have taken for themselves. And why is that? Well, it's because they don't know the joy of heaven. 
They may claim they are going to heaven, but they don't know the joy of heaven if they are not inviting other people. Is that you? Do you rarely say to people, come with me to the mountain of the Lord? When was the last time you invited someone to journey to heaven with you? If it's been a very long time, you should be asking yourself, am I really going to the mountain of the Lord? Do I really know the joy of God's mountain now? And am I really hoping for the joy that is to come when we will go and see Christ face to face? So I ask you again, are you going to Zion? I fear that some of you may be claiming that you are, but your lives say otherwise. You're taking up swords against others, spears are up, and you're not inviting others with joy. If that is you, if there's any chance that you are not on the way to heavenly Zion, that you're convicted of the way you've been fighting with others, the way you haven't been inviting people to go to God's mountain, then come to him in repentance and faith now. Repent of the way you've been living and trust in Christ Jesus for forgiveness of sins and start climbing Mount Zion today with me and with the other believers that are around us, even now, that you may be seeing on Zoom. Come with us. I'm not into hiking mountains. I've got a neighbour who, a few months back, he was saying, oh, I'm going on this mountain hike in, I think it's in Jindabyne sort of area, the, the snowy mountains, and he was all geared up for it, excited, he was in training, he was going to the gym every day, getting ready for this mountain hike. And uh, a few months later, I bumped into him again and said, how did, how did the, 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 the hike go? Did you make it? Because it was meant to be over so many different mountains. And he said, oh, I actually had a heart attack and had to be rushed back to Sydney. I didn't finish my, <laughs> my mountain hike as I'd planned. He's okay now, but his doctor has said, no more hiking mountains. Uh, I think your, your, your age now has limited you that you cannot hike mountains any longer. So I'm not into hiking mountains, and after hearing what he said, uh, it doesn't make me uh, conducive to hiking mountains down in the snowy mountains at this time, particularly, I guess, we're in the middle of winter, it'd be even worse to try and hike there now at the moment. But, uh, and of course, we're restricted, we can't even go. I'm not into hiking mountains, but I'm into hiking this mountain. This mountain, Mount Zion. I'm streaming up it with a whole bunch of other people. Won't you go with me as well? Won't you go with me and see Jesus face to face, to be in the presence of the Lord and to hear him speak? Won't you go with me up the mountain to hear him speak? Won't you go with me and sit under your own fig tree, under your own vine that the Lord has especially prepared for you? And have a contentment, have a lack of fear that anyone will hurt you ever again. Won't you go with me? You can begin in lockdown. You can begin right now to go with me to Mount Zion. And you can keep walking in lockdown. Children too. You can start walking to Heavenly Zion now. If going to heaven meant we had to go to physical Israel as People would have interpreted at one point that the Lord's mountain would be established and raised. We have to go over to Jerusalem. If we want to be in God's presence, we have to go to physical Jerusalem. If we want to hear God speak, we've got to go to physical Jerusalem. If we want to be at peace with people, we've got to go to physical Jerusalem. If that was the case, then we'd be undone because the borders are shut. 
You can't go there. You can't even go interstate. You can't even go a few kilometres, from what I understand, out of your own suburb. Let alone try and get over to physical Jerusalem. We would be undone if that was how, if that was our hope to be in God's presence. But it's not. No government, no virus can stop you from going to Mount Zion today to begin the journey, to hike the mountain of the Lord by repentance and faith. And so I encourage you to go with me. If you've never started the journey before, journey with me today. Start the journey, even in lockdown. And come with me so that one day we will see Christ face to face and hear him speak and be at peace with all men who are there. And if you are with me, if you're already streaming up that mountain, it's a miracle. The word there is this idea of, uh, in Micah chapter one, uh, 4, verse 1, of, of going up, and it's usually used in reference to water. Water doesn't flow up, it always flows down. It's a miracle that people flowing up this mountain. If you are with me, what should you do? Well, you should walk with joy. Walk with joy, hike with joy as you taste the heavenly Zion even now. It's so wonderful we get a taste of Micah chapter 4 now. Yes, there's a not yet that we're longing for, but there's a now. Walk with me now. Enjoy the presence of God that's in you now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Enjoy the peace and contentment that the word brings you now so that you're happy to live under your own fig tree now. And enjoy inviting others. Enjoy inviting others. It's such a, a privilege, particularly when you see them wanting to join, or at least interested, half interested. It gives you such a glow. It's part of the reason I'm a pastor. I just love telling people to come with me to the Lord's mountain. Sing Watts hymn, Watts, Isaac Watts. Come, we don't sing this one at our church, but uh, I do like it. Come we that love the Lord. And let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Great hymn. Usually only know the, the chorus very well, but I love the opening of it that I just read. Come we that love the Lord and let our, what be known? Our joys be known. Our joys be known. Let them joys be known to others. Join in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion. The beautiful city of God. Let us come to him in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are not worthy to be going to Zion. But we praise you and we thank you for paving the way for us in Christ Jesus, that he has opened the way, that he is the way. And if we come in repentance and faith, we begin the journey through him. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to hike that mountain. We pray that you would even be granting repentance and faith to people as they hear my voice now, so that they begin the journey and that they would start to follow your ways and to live in harmony as we look forward to seeing the Lord Jesus face to face. Oh, Lord, we pray that the citizens of heaven would always be characterised by harmony. Lord, we pray that we would not be even at our church taking up swords against one another, 
We would not be training for war, but we'd be training for peace with each other. And so, Lord, we pray that we would also, at this church, as we know the peace that comes from you and the contentment that we have in our own station, in our own place in this world, that we would then be inviting others, that we would be saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Oh, Lord, we pray that we'd be saying that to many and that people would be joining with us and coming with us to be in the presence of yourself for all eternity. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.